Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, here's a man who's making the city tick, tick, tick quite a bit. He always has as a police officer, community organizer. And now he's trying to do it, to, trying to become the next mayor of the city of New Haven, Shafiq Abdus-Sabur. He also, um, you'll recognize him WNHH because he co-hosts Urban Talk Radio. But today he's the guest. He's in the hot seat. We got the hot lamp on him to, to question him about his mayoral run. Shafiq Abdus-Sabur, thank you for coming and joining the guest chair. We're on the co-host chair on WNHH-FM. Thank you, Paul. Good morning, New Haven. So, Shafiq, why are you running for mayor? A lot of the stuff you could do. You're retired as a cop. You got, you know, you go lecture, lecture to the FBI. Why, why are you running for mayor? <laughs> well, you know it's not because I need the money. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know it's not because I need a job, right? Right. Um, because, you know, I grew up in this city, and I was raised by two parents. And uh, my mother had me when she was young. And so I've had the ability, being the son of a young mother, to watch my mother go through the struggle she went through, to be young enough to watch my grandfather, who had a sixth grade education, come here, work for this great city, uh, and then be able to retire on a city pension. My grandfather retired with a pension from the sewage plant in New Haven. I never knew that. So at the time, was that a city AZ? Because now your water pollution control no. authority is a quasi-public, you know, meaning they get the benefits of being public, but they give us off like a private company and not answer our calls. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really know. Uh, I know that my grandfather and my great uncles, uh, my Uncle Cliff, my Uncle Sam, uh, my Uncle Cliff is still alive, my grandfather and my Uncle Uncle Sam have since passed. And your mom's still around because we see her in the news in West, oh, West Hills. yeah. Yeah, you got yeah, fire. Yeah. Your mom got fire. She was in the Black Panthers. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, my mother calls me now every five minutes, of course, right? Um, but I'm gonna I'll hit back to that. But no, so my Wait, why does she call you every five minutes? Oh yeah, yo, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. She's telling you how to run for mayor. She's a, no, she's a critic. She's oh. you better do this and you better do that and you better tell the people this and you better you know don't don't you. So back. how many times did you screw up according to your mom? You only announced last week, Shafiq, so you can't have screwed up too much yet. No, I have actually not screwed up because I pick up the phone every time she calls <laughs> and she says uh, she says she says called me yesterday and I picked up the phone and she said um uh oh wow you picked up the phone I said yeah I said of course I've got time to uh, talk to my mother I always got time to talk to my mother when I'm running for mayor she says well. You didn't call me a lot before, uh, you know, pick up the phone a lot before you was running for me. I said, yeah, but now you can comment on me. <laughs> <laughs> now you need her vote. That's the big thing. Yeah. So she started laughing. But, um, but yeah, you know, um, it's, it's, it's just been great. But like I said, you know, me and my mother. Well, the question is, why are you running for mayor? You started right. talking about having so, roots right. and so, family. So why am I running for mayor? So it's because of roots and family. That's exactly what it's about, Paul. This is about roots and family and relationships and people people that i have known my whole life people new people that i have met in new haven um people who have mentored me in this city um it's about the city i mean you know you should be able to grow up in the city of new haven as a little child and see your success as a little child in the future of new haven actually this is something i was going to ask you later in the interview but it kind of flows from this there are two kind of arguments that are made when people run for mayor and what the candidates say. And sometimes people are looking for different things. 
So sometimes they say you want a mayor who knows the community. When they when something happens on a block in Edgewood, in the Hill, in Beaver Hills, in Dixwell, they want someone who knows people. They know what has happened in the past. They know who to talk to if there's a problem. They understand because they've lived through it. And then sometimes people in elections like to vote for people who don't have the local ties because mm. they say we don't want you to be encumbered by compromise because you know too many people, the same old people. So like when Justin Elker got elected, the argument was... He hasn't been there that long, but long enough, and he, he'll bring in new people, new blood. He won't have those old alliances. And then other times people elect like a John Daniels or a, um, John DiStefano or a Tony Harp and say, well, you know, they've put a lot of time into the city. They know how the city runs. They know those people. They know, like I remember if something happened, let's say, in Edgewood, and there was that thing with the uh, armed patrol of the synagogue. DiStefano was on the phone with, you know, 10 different people. He's known his whole life to say, tell me what's going on. Who do I talk to? How does it get done? Other people say, you know, those kind of relationships led to you making bad decisions in government because you want to reward your friends. Then other people say it's good to have those relationships because a city doesn't work unless everyone's bought in and work together. So that's a long-winded question, Shafiq. Basically, yeah. should we should people vote for Shafiq because he knows everybody in town? He's been here a long time. It's third generation. But also, you, you've been a cop, a community organizer, an athlete. You've, kind of, you've been everywhere. Everybody knows Shafiq. Or should they vote for someone who doesn't have Shafiq's friendships and relationships so that they don't have to worry about friends being taken care of? Right. I don't think people should ever vote for anyone because of their friends. No, no, I mean who their friends are. I right. meant, is it good to have local ties or do local ties too much get in the way? Like, we have a whole government now, yeah. people. We just had a new um, person named as this violence coordinator, City Hall. We had a chief administrative officer. Where we're getting people we hadn't seen before in government. People, and some people say, well, you don't know our community. How are you going to do that job? Other people say, well, you're a fresh face without seeing things the old way and learning it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So There's I think sides. it comes down to this. I think it comes down to, are we trying to run a city to solve past problems, current problems, and avoid problems in the future? Or are we just, um, you know, trying to do an experiment, right, um, based on restart? Right. So if the concept is, hey, let's restart New Haven, let's restart New Haven. Well, every time you restart New Haven, you lose something. Uh, and what you lose is you lose the ability of the knowledge that came prior to that. Mm. What I will say is this. I am born and raised in this city. I was born at Yale University. On the 29th of January at the Marriott, we will hold our campaign kickoff. The doctor that delivered me will be there. <laughs> Who's that? The doctor that delivered Who me. Who delivered you? I, I, I got to look into the... To the uh, but it wasn't Marshall Holly because Marshall Holly's no, dead. He delivered no, my kids. I, I, yeah. I, could t I tell you exactly who because my mother just <laughs> sent me... Well, we can wait. A mom called. So mom told oh, you, you better oh, bring yeah, the my, doctor. My, yeah. No, my mother calls me. She's uh, Dr. Doctor Sorrell. So mm -hmm. my mother is like, guess what? Guess what? You know, Dr. Sorrell has been asking about... Because he asked about... But me. we had this talking about policing, too. Right. We had a police chief brought in who wasn't really tied to the community. The argument was that person would do things more technocratically, more efficiently. And then the community kind of said, no, we wanted a, a police chief who knew people, kind of That's correct. been in the trenches with people. Well, we go back and forth with this. Yeah. You know, here, here's the deal. I believe in the New Haven voters. I believe in my New Haven citizens. The concept that the people among us cannot um, govern us, patrol us, teach mm. us, um, serve us, is a, is a massive disrespect to the residents and the city and the community of New Haven. What are you saying about us when you say this stuff? Are you saying that 
uh, that New Haven is filled with corrupt voters and corrupt taxpayers, or, or we people say, who aren't good at things, right? That we have of... that we lack some type of moral integrity as people in this city that we can't govern ourselves. Let's talk about the history of New Haven. The history of New Haven has its roots. Yes, slaves were brought into New Haven. Let's be honest about that, right? But we also this have is the corner they renamed right. The first but we also here. have the Irish that were initially brought here as indentured servants, those who were jailed until they could buy their way to freedom. We had the Italians that came here from Ellis Island. We have the Jews that came here. People have all come here with a struggle story. I talked to the Chinese community, and the Chinese community says, you know what? We came here with one bag on our back from China immigrating here. This is a city of immigrants. And immigrants, we know, are people that are highly uh, capable of having integrity. They have a lot of family values. So we've coexisted in this city for all of these uh, you know, decades, and we've built a great city. And then there's this new thought of, oh, no, they're not capable of managing each other because they know each other. Uh, that's called community. Community is called a place where everybody does know everybody. Neighborhoods is called the place where families know everybody. Strong families build strong neighborhoods. Strong neighborhoods build strong communities. And a strong community builds a strong city. And when you start coming from outside of that, bringing people in, oh, nope, we can't trust this person. We got to bring this person in. Well, here's what happens. You handicap sometimes. A person has great talent. And you handicap them without having the knowledge of the history of the city, the, the relationships that they may need in the community to get things done. And then people are frustrated. And then on top of that, people are set up for failure. Look at all the people that have left this city in the last three years that were good administrators, that were qualified, that were handicapped. They were set up for failure. Who's they that? left. Who are you thinking of? Oh, the police chief, Renee Dominguez, I said it to her. I, I, I told her, I had a personal conversation with her. I said, watch yourself, be careful, don't get... So you think she was the right choice? I'm not saying she was the right choice, but she was never put in a position to actually have her talents realized. She was thrown in this thing with lack of resources, not enough police officers. you think officers. she was connected to the community? I think she had a connection to the community. I watched her, you know... As she grew into her career, she was compassionate. She was concerned. She was a mom. She was a professional. But how do you do that in a city where you've got all of this politics flying well, around the, how you? How about the current chief? Current chief is good. I mean, Jacobson is a different style of chief, so his his uh, approach to the community is different. But you got to look at the people. Look at the people who left. We we've lost our superintendent. We have no superintendent. We have eight to 9,000 kids. We have Eileen Tracy. She's retiring at the end of the year, but she's the superintendent. She's leaving. Who's coming? What are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting to remind people that listen to Dateline New Haven. <laughs> Shafiq Abdus-Sabur, <laughs> Democratic yeah. candidate for mayor. So here's the big thing, Shafiq. Yes, sir. What are you going to do about NIPS? So I've been hearing out of nowhere the last couple of days different people saying, What's up with the nips? And this is what they tell me, Shafiq. They the say nips? The, the nips. nip bottles. The yeah. nip bottles. So what they say is they start talking math at me. Right. They count. One woman, yes, they said to me, she lives in like Amity, like um, Beverly Hills, you know, near Davis Street School. Mm -hmm. Said, I just took a walk picking up trash, and I forget the number, dozens and dozens of nip bottles just on a few blocks. Someone else said I was walking from West Elm to Marvel or something, and in four blocks he had like 60 nip bottles. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about the NIPS if you're elected mayor? Let's talk about NIPS. Why let's do, talk about let, NIPS. Let's talk about NIPS. All right. Why do people drink NIPS? 
Why do we see them in such large volume? Here's why. We have a city full of violence. We have a city right now in many areas of our city that's full of disparity. You've got people on a housing list for three years waiting to get what appears to be affordable housing, which we are not building affordable housing, right? We have low-income housing, and we have market-rate housing in this city. And so you have people who have homeless insecurity. You have 30,000 people with food insecurity. You've got people in this city getting shot almost every other day. Every 72 hours, somebody is getting injured with a bullet on the New Haven Street somewhere in this city, not including getting hit by a car, not including getting hit on their bike, not including the fatal accidents because all the traffic is moving around. You add that up of all the people who've gotten shot and killed and killed in this city, robbed, raped, and burglarized, and then we don't have a good job market to provide good jobs for people, why do you think people might drink a nip? Because, Because, Paul, because according to the crisis intervention model, this is a way that people self-medicate themselves. Yeah, that's why you have a, part of the reason you have alcoholism. Alcoholism is also that's a correct. disease. And that's you have correct. nips because people can't afford the bigger bottles. Absolutely. So and some it, people think when people, sometimes they try to ban nips or stop, tell stores not to sell nips. Other people say that's not fair to people with lower income because other people drink, like I buy bourbon, right? Correct. But I don't buy nips. Absolutely. I don't hang out on the street and drink it. But that doesn't mean, is it being discriminatory and here's, and here's against the, thing, the people who have less money to say we don't want them drinking their nips? Here's what I know growing up in New Haven. Okay. Okay. They did a study, and I believe it was uh, CARE. CARE did a study and showed, and they did that study back, I believe, in 2006. They showed that New Haven had more liquor stores in the African-American community by square block than any other place. I remember place. that study. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? Why? Because it thrives on what? It thrives on the concentrated, the effects of... Con- so you're saying the nip litter is... Re- just related to enough opportunity, economic opportunity people. It's a related to the con- to the effects of concentrated poverty in this. And in city. fact, you were you led the charge with your neighbors to stop Paramount Liquors from staying in business, which is not just trash, but there was a lot of crime happening because it wasn't a well-run store on right. Whaley. Right. So, so let me just. But clear- isn't there a deeper issue? We're always going to have alcoholism. Yeah. So, is it partly a trash issue? Right. So let me, we, just, let me just public spaces. Correct that a little bit. So. I didn't lead the charge. The charge was actually led by the community. What I did is I supported the community. You as, spoke up for me. Yeah, the as, to, as they're all there. Yes, right. I did. Um, my goal was not to close the package oh, store. Have them run it well. Um, because Harry, like I said in the public testimony, Harry is a friend of mine. Um, so I wasn't out to close and injure his business. I was out to make sure that he was going to comply with the rules and regulations as it related to him having a liquor license. So that was what my support okay, was for that community. Yeah. And as I said in the testimony, and this is what I'm saying now when you say, why am I running for mayor? Because Harry might be my friend, but his friendship cannot supersede my relationship with my granddaughter, who's two years old, that has to walk by all of that garbage and trash and people who are inebriated and the violence. I can't sacrifice... Uh, that may what might be a profitable relationship so how does that over come safety. Back to nips? So you were taking a position where you don't want to hit Harry as long as Harry followed the rules, correct. but Harry wasn't able to follow the rules. And that's correct. That, and that decision was made by the Liquor Commission, which I had no involvement in making that decision. So I'd be very clear about that. But you kind of knew everybody. You knew the neighbors who wanted you to speak up. You Absolutely. knew the owner who wanted you to, to let him make a living as long as he followed the rules. That's correct. And what, I, what about trash and nips? Why are so many nip bottles? Is it just because that we've always had alcoholism? Well, I think the other part is this, too. Uh, Public Works is understaffed. That's number one. Public Works is understaffed. In fact, I talk with Public Work workers 
in the field. So I didn't do the whole look in the math. I talked to them on the field and I said, hey, um, actually I was talking to a public works worker when they were uh, paving Percival Street, which was one of the things that I had done as an alder. I was, I put, I went, when I was in, when I ran for alder, what I noticed was the areas that were horrible looking, trash everywhere, crushed up, the street was raggedy, the sidewalks was raggedy, were all the places in my ward that had low voter turnout. In those areas, mm. they had no ward chair representation. They had no co-chairs living on that street at all, right? And so it was kind of like they wasn't on the voter rolls, you know, based on the strategy. If I had to follow the strategy, I should have not even really been knocking on the doors over there because it would yield me a low return. But my, my belief is go to the place where the people are most underserved and give them what they need, and then they'll get involved. So Percival Street, I had on the list. So is public works having better cleanup of trash? Is there more nah, nips man, because so, they're not cleaning the trash? So enough? here's what the public works worker told me when they was paving Percival Street, which I'm very proud of. Percival Street looks beautiful. I said, what's going on, brother? He said, good. I said, so tell me about public works. He said, man, he said, it's a mess. He said, let me tell you what's going on. He said, we don't have enough supervisors. They're hiring new people. The new people sometimes don't really know what to do. And there's no supervisors out here watching them and training them to help them do what they do. We understaff. That's why it takes a long time. He said, that's why it took so long to get this street repaid. He said, because we don't even have enough people in public works to actually do the paving. And let's mind you, their contract has been expired for almost two years. So they're really upset about that. So when you start looking around the city, the question is not why are there so many nips being used, why are they not being swept up with street sweeping or picked up with the trash? Because this administration has not invested the taxpayers' dollars back into the very services that they keep getting rising taxes to pay. Is I it partly because government everywhere is having trouble? No, it's not slots. government everywhere. I don't want to talk about everywhere. I didn't heard that story for so long. That's why I'm running for mayor. I'm tired of hearing that same stuff. It's COVID. It's COVID. It's COVID. Here's Abduser Boar's response to running for mayor when I hear that again. It's not COVID, okay? It's not COVID. It's leadership. It's prioritization. When you have the resources to do something and you have the knowledge to be able to do it, if it's not being done, there's two things happening. Either you haven't prioritized to do it for the people or you just don't care about the people. And that's what I keep seeing over and over and over again in this city Dang. under this administration. And I've had it. I've absolutely had it. So you know what I said to myself? You know what? Self, that's right. Everybody knows that I'm retired from the police department. I got a pension. You know what, self? I don't work for nobody. Nobody don't own me. You know what, self? The people need you. The people need leadership. The people need somebody that understands what it's like to chase a cutoff notice for their light bill. You know what that's like? Dude, that is the most stressful thing you could possibly imagine. When your lights are on winter protection, you got to go file an asthma or whatever the medical thing is with your doctor. You're praying that they don't turn off your lights. They sent you to shut off notice. Now you got to hope that, hey, I woke up this morning. Is the ceiling fan on or off? Because if it's off, I got no lights and I got no way to pay the money. You call a light company up and say, listen, can I make payment arrangements? They say, oh, no, you can't make payment arrangements because you was one day late with your payment or whatever the case might be. So now they give you 24 hours to shut off your lights. Your lights go off. Now you got to try to call back. Nobody want to talk to you. You got to get on the phone. You got to call the state uh, utilities company, try to file a claim and get help. They call back the UI company. Meanwhile, the lights is, is starting to get dark. You don't want to be in the dark. Your family's looking at you like you're crazy. And then finally you get a 24 window to keep your lights on. And that's crazy. This is what people are dealing with in the city. They're dealing with evictions. 
they dealing with, do I pay my car note? Do I pay the insurance for my car? Do I pay my light bill? So I understand that, Paul. I get that. I was a public servant on a police officer's salary. We didn't make a lot of money, okay? And you worked for every dime you got. You got a wife staying home. You got children being taken care of. You're trying to raise your kids. You're sharing that salary, Paul. You're sharing it. They don't pay you for you and your wife the same amount of money. You got teachers out here making, what, 50-something thousand dollars a year, $56,000 a year. They are taking $3,000 out of their check every year, paying for school supplies that they shouldn't have to pay for. Then they got to worry about how they try to pay rent, feed their family. Then they get off work at, what, 3, 4 o'clock. They got to go home. They got to do homework uh, correction. They got to do other stuff to prepare for the next stage of lesson plan. They're not being compensated for that. When you brought that. that up, the mayor brought up, they just raised the salaries a lot. For the no, teachers. they raised the salary for 15%. They don't even know how they're going to pay for those salaries this year. I already talked to the board of all the people. They, uh, how are we paying 15% for a salary increase for the teachers? I don't know. We're, but are you hitting them both sides? Raise raise it more? You raised it, but you can't pay for it? No, is that, here's the is, thing. That no, fair? this is what I'm saying is we need better. We need control spending in this city. Mm -hmm. We don't have control spending. First of all, we don't even have a comp controller. We have an interim budget director. That's the other problem. We got an unfilled city administration. And we've been running this kind of ragtag, unfilled city administration for the longest. For the last three years, we ran the city for a whole year without a CAO. And if I'm not mistaken, that year we had 25 homicides. How do you run a city without a CAO with 25 homicides, right? Which was literally like what? 70% more than the prior administration. So at the risk of, I love the passion. I love when you get worked up. <laughs> no, they get, but they I got, me going, no, I love man. it. I don't mean me to going. stop. I love to get you going. That's what yeah. you do. But I want to still get back to nips. Go back to the nips. Why are we we're seeing Go more nips on the ground? We need more people to clean up the nips. But is it is it maybe not the cleanup, but the throwing the nips down in the first place? How about we don't have enough trash cans throughout the city? That's a park and rec issue. How about park and rec is understaffed? How about the parks director just abruptly quit during the summer because he got frustrated about how the department was being run? We can't keep people. What is going on in this city that no one wants to work for this administration? That is insane. Go talk to the people because I'm talking to them. I just don't talk. I talk to people. Go talk to uh, uh, the, the, the people that have left this administration and ask them, why did you leave? Why are we not doing exit interviews? We want to be transparent. Let's do some exit interviews. Let's bring back the people that have recently left the city throughout this entire administration and ask them, I, I, I encourage you to bring them on the show. Hey, why did you leave? You just gave example of someone who didn't want to speak. Right. But, so what <laughs> are you going to do about NIPS if you're mayor? What am I going to do about NIPS? The first thing I'm going to do is invest in the quality of life of our residents. That's how you handle NIPS. You look at the areas of this city that are desperately suffering with lack of resources. You look at the ARPA money that's just sitting somewhere. That's federal pandemic relief. Right, in the coffers. You look at, uh, you know, even the money from the Board of Ed, it's sitting in coffers, $43.9 million to close the, 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 the educational achievement gap since COVID. They've had the money for two years. The state has already said it. The state legislature have already talked about it. The money has not even been exhausted, and we still got this massive learning gap. We are the lowest achieving uh, district in the metros of New Haven. And in fact, if you go and look nationwide, we are one of the lowest performing school districts in the nation right, so after we've, COVID. So we've made the pivot. You asked the maker. Listen to Shafiq Abdusabur. He's running for mayor of the city of New Haven. We're talking about that on Dateline New Haven. You said at your announcement last week, as did Tom Goldenberger, another candidate, 
that education is going to be the number one education issue in this campaign. is the number one listen here's the thing i've been a cop for 21 and a half years right and let me tell you something you know you hear folks say oh street outreach we've got this street outreach program i wrote street outreach i designed street outreach i walked street outreach along with all the other folks that helped pilot it dougie bathia uh edward booker uh uh uh, uh william outlaw terrence uh trent butler okay the list goes on and on all the young brothers i work with okay we walked that program to tampa florida to get the all-american city award that is an all-american city award number one winner out of 16,000 cities street outreach who wrote it me so it was so about hold the on school. a second we paul, so, hold on a second, paul. Okay. so so when this administration touts their violence prevention plan being street outreach you're touting my plan when they stand on that as their mission you're standing on my shoulders and that's probably why they hurt so bad but you praised right? renee dominguez who was against the street outreach worker program who had that street, that program almost over because hold of the way she ran the department hold on a second i'm paul. gonna let that go i did not praise her you did. You said she okay. was a good chief. You shouldn't have lost her. No, we I not, did we not. Would, no, we no, would not have no, street outreach those today. Are, those if she are your chief. words, Paul. Those are your words. What <laughs> I said was, I said Renee is compassionate. She is is a very focused, I believe, and committed uh, law enforcement officer, and that she was set up for failure by this administration. She did. Let me just say this: she didn't voluntarily withdraw her name from running again. How, As would, a chief. How, how would you feel if we didn't have a shoot out with worker program today if she'd been confirmed and it was all gone? Well, here's what I'm going to say. I wrote that program. I believe mm-hmm. in that program. I believe in the values and what that program can be. Anybody knows me knows that I will fight for what I believe in and I will advocate that. Okay, so we're talking about schools. And here's why I got to understand this, Paul. Because when Mayor DiStefano appointed me to the chief's office to, to design a strategy, here's what he said. I need you to help me fix this problem. What was the problem with him Dr. Mayo had? They had 6,000 kids oh, that were truant. There were oh, 6,000 okay. truant kids in the city of New Haven, okay. right? And so I came in and I solved two problems. First problem we had was people were coming in from prison. They had no job and there was no job opportunity. 25 a week got dropped right? off at the Whaley Jail. And then on top of that, we had 6,000 truant students, right? So I'm going to break it down to you why school is so important. We took the first 200 top most at-risk children in high school, and we identified them. We split them up between Yale Child Study, Donald Morrison's uh, uh, CCC, the Brotherhood Leadership uh, 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 Summit. We split them up with Scott X and and, and his um, anti-violence program. Yeah, Yeah, and we split it up across all the community partners, right? Because that's part of a community violence intervention plan model, right? And then they went out and they worked with those young people. But the street outreach program, what was so significant of it is I said it must have a few criterions. The people coming home from prison, you must give them a job. You got to give them a full-time job and also got to give them medical benefits and days off. You got to treat them just like you would treat so any other you get them jobs? value citizen. Because when we wrote the program, it turned into, I think, an RF, a request for qualifications. Okay. Um, it got awarded to Black Family Alliance. And then Barbara Tenney brought them in and she hosted the program where she did a, a, a brilliant job, right? So what that did, so people say, but why are you not talking about education yet? Why is education so important? Because I understand it from the inside. Why do I understand it from the inside? Because those young men coming out of incarceration know what it's like 
to have their, their education interrupted. They know what it's like to be on the street because somebody might want to shoot you or you might want to shoot somebody. They know what it's like to be out on the street because you can't eat and you hungry and you got to grind. They understood that. So who's better at helping them get back in school and connecting them with adult ed or encouraging them to get back in school than them? And so they became the bridge to bring them across, if you want oh, to call okay. it, See, that the trouble. Got them That's hooked. right. They're the bridge to bring them across the trouble. Okay, so water. that was the 200 most in danger, which is a big deal. Big, yeah, big, big deal. Absolutely. What about the 20,000 kids in school? So here's a problem you have now. You have no plan. I tell you what my plan was. That was my plan. It worked. That plan right now, this administration. That was for 200 people. Yeah. No, no, Paul. We said the top 200 people okay. is what we focused on. Which is important. Right. I'm not but belittling it. For, it. Right? I'm not but belittling it. But it was, all, it was for all kids. So I'm you say, okay, it. but what else did you do, Shafiq? Well, you know what else I did? I wrote training workshop programs for truancy that I taught to mm. truancy officers and truancy directors. Charles Blango can vouch for that. So you're saying you have the bio. You have the experience. Yes. What about now? Reading scores are low, and we were the last holdout in Connecticut to teaching reading with phonics emphasis. Here, here's the deal. I talk to teachers, and teachers are telling me, here's a problem. Problem number one is, we don't have enough teachers in the school. We're down 130 teachers. Problem number two is, because we don't have enough teachers in the school, they now have to double up classes. They've got deans over at Hill House right now acting as teachers, and those deans are just sitting in the classroom with students because they're not teachers. So the students are just in there doing whatever. Right. They're not being taught. They're not learning. So that's obvious a problem. We also have a problem. And they said this themselves. I didn't say it with there's not enough uh, substitute teachers. They can't find enough substitute teachers. Well, you don't pay much. Right? Was it 75 a day? And listen, it, you know, they, so, hey, they can't find enough. So as a result of that, you're short substitute teachers. So now you short teachers, you're, you're short substitute teachers. And now you're using auxiliary staff as teachers who are not trained in the educational skills learning so our kids are going to be further pushed behind so now you want to talk about reading so these students have a reading gap what well, they had 43 point million dollars sitting there for two years to use for that reading gap and now we're saying well you know it's COVID. it's not COVID. okay now with the reading i want you to address this question if you don't mind yes sir there's a fundamental question that said if we had spent that money teaching them to read the way we have been we would have been teaching them not to read that there's a something okay. called balanced literacy versus structural okay. literacy. Okay, Here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's been a national consensus and a state law that Gary Winfield worked on mm. that said that the brain science for the last 20 years said that the country with tens of thousands of school systems had a, had a curriculum designed by Lucy Calkins that had people looking at words, trying to guess them based on a picture, mm -hmm. looking at what the whole world looked like rather than phonics, and that the research over and over and over again showed that that was teaching poor kids, rich kids, every kid not how to read. Mm -hmm. So the rich kids got tutors and the poor kids didn't. Mm -hmm. Lucy Calkins, who designed that and made a career, admitted this and gave up. We have a state law that you can't do that anyway. This school board was fighting to keep the old method mm -hmm. and saying, because all kids learn differently, because there's like a 5% yeah. kids who need a different way. So, so, go back. so, so where do you stand on this? So, so here's where I stand on this, man. So... We're going to play the placebo effect with our kids' education, right? Oh, we don't think you're going to be able to learn, so we're just not going to – We're. I guess we're – school, is a, is, school is a place for learning. It's a place to help children realize their potential, their creativity, their self-worth. 
There's more to learning in a school, okay, than getting stuck in a study. My child comes to school, teach them what you have to teach them. Let me know where we might fall short as a parent and help me to close that gap as a parent. But don't not teach my kid. Well, but you're not taking a stand on whether structured or balanced literacy. Because this current administration's at the school board was the last one in Connecticut holding on to this balanced literacy thing. And you know, people are saying you're teaching them not how to read. If we give you $100 million, your test scores are going to go down because you're teaching kids to look for cueing, it's called. Yeah. What the picture looks like, what it, you know, rather than teaching them how, how to sound out words. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. Teach, I'm going to say you got students in the class. Teach them how to read. If the old method they're saying is like, oh, well, it's going to help them identify and it's gonna, they're going to have lower test scores, we already know about these test scores. What do we know? Even President Obama talked about it. Test scores is not the end all to, to mm -hmm. being able to measure somebody's intelligence. When I was in school, we took SATs. They're talking about getting rid of SATs. When I was in school, you could opt out and take an uh, ACT. They're talking about getting rid of these type of ACT tests. When I was in school, they said you had to have a high school diploma in order to go to college, and then they changed and said you could have a GED and then go to college. So we can't get stuck in an in a intellectual war on education with people who have PhDs and master's degrees in the, in the economic ability to send their kids to private school. We are educating in New Haven, the New Haven underserved population that often is living in concentrated poverty. Something like 75% of our children are living in concentrated poverty. So how do we sit here and have a war? And here's the other thing. Even if this was a big discussion, then why don't we just have Board of Ed meetings in person like we should be having Instead of on Zoom, COVID's over. And what would be the advantage in person? In person, because you can actually have people come and attend. Everybody, this is what we learned with COVID, okay? Now that COVID's over. Every New Havener does not have good connectivity, meaning they didn't want to have good internet. Every New Havener does not have the ability to get on Zoom. Every New Haven citizen that might be concerned and want to have civic engagement may not know how to navigate them way, their way through a Zoom. And a Zoom is a very depersonalized way to engage people into civic um, government or civic engagement. Why? Because you get on these Zooms and the chat is disabled. So, you know, I say something that I want to say, it's everybody can't see it, and that's depending on the host or whoever's giving the meeting. The other thing, too, is it's one-dimensional. You can't be in the room to feel people's vibe. You can't socialize. You can't build community. Okay. I will admit that I agree with you 5,000% on this. Yeah. Their side is more people actually, you on balance are having more people um, participate, more people sign up for the Zoom. I will admit that yeah. I do agree with you on And this the thing line. is, what people? are You know, you can't, you can't have community without communicating to all people. You can't have uh, the ability to have inclusivity if all people can't be included. It's like what well, we- I'm interested what you're saying about in person, seeing yeah. someone's face, picking up a vibe. Tell me Shaking more about their that. hand or saluting them or, you know, hey, how are you? How's your family, right? That's how you build- so build connections. Right, that's how you build- Does that say something about the model of government, whether you met that question I began with about whether you're looking for data-driven solutions, which aren't bad, you know, or like, or whether you're looking for government that's based on personal connection? You know, I think it starts with the leader, right? Everybody has their own leadership style. Some people lead where they want to manage people, right? Um, and then some people want to lead myself. I want to be a trust and inspire leader. 
I want to trust. I want to hire people. And if they're already there, I want to let them know. And I want to first equip them with the, with the tools to be successful. Give them the resources so that they can cross the finish line. And then I want to trust that they will actually take that resource and grow. And then I want to inspire them with my leadership. If I've got to work alongside them for a minute and get it done, anybody in this city can tell you. Any any patrol officer, when I was a sergeant, I walked the beat with you. Any any person that worked for me cleaning the schools, I clean those toilets sometimes right along with them, sweating and the whole deal. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem getting my hands dirty. I don't have a problem getting down in the weeds so that people can understand I'm leading. I'm going to lead with you and I'm going to work with you. So that's the type of leader that I am. I want to trust people. I want to inspire them. I want to encourage them. I want to be able to give them the tools to be successful. Because if we do that, if we bring that back to our city government and our city staff, and you know what you, you know what that begins with? It begins with acknowledging you see them where they are. You don't let contracts for your essential city workers who were stuck in these buildings during COVID with the danger of bringing COVID home to their families with outdated ventilators in the city because we didn't know then about COVID, right? So we know the ventilation was outdated. And they're stuck in these buildings. They're working in contact with the community, putting themselves at risk. And then after COVID, we don't negotiate their contracts. We drag our feet on negotiating the contract. All these central city workers, the dispatchers, um, uh, the, 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 the meter enforcement, the librarians, uh, public works, parks department we drag our feet what does that say to the worker am i saying oh is that going to inspire you isn't it a two-way street though i mean you're not so you said you want to controls on city spending does isn't it up to the city government to not just say yes to every request you know like to that, that is such a knee-jerk reaction um that we hear that as a good tagline we don't want to just say yes to the let me tell you something yesterday we celebrated martin luther king's birthday Martin Luther King, everybody loves him. Everybody, you know, gives alcohol. Now that he's about, safely dead, that we don't have to talk about right. what he said. But here's what he talked about. He died talking about poverty. Sanitation workers. He died talking about uh, uh, health care disparities. He was a labor person. We know that pensions, labor and pensions, pension retirement or some type of retirement job, is one of the most key wealth building. Well, should the mayor say no ever to a union? It's one of the most key wealth building, generational wealth building that you can yeah. do is be able to provide oh, somebody agree, agree, with agree, retirement. Yeah, yeah, and okay, that's yeah. number one. Labor and unionized labor is massively important to the fiber to the to the fiber of our American economy. We can't deny that. You can't say to people, "Oh, well, you know, they're in the union and they're just making too much money." No, no, no. I'm, no, saying, no, 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 I'm I, saying that. I know. I know you're not saying that, Paul. But I'm saying it. And what I'm saying is, when you're committed and you understand the city that you are serving, you understand the city that you govern, then you understand that about people. You understand that they need that job to feed themselves. And I'm going to say this because I don't want to put out the exact city department, but the city department came to me, I met with their union, and they said that they're taking home $375 a week after taxes, after the money gets deducted out for their like pension retirement. $375. So they got to go get two and three other jobs to work. That's a full-time job they're working for the city of New Haven. So we wonder why we can't keep dispatchers record clerks, police officers, teachers, 
there are police officers, and here's the other thing, I got to say this too. You know, the mayor's plan for uh, police reform was to take $4 million out of the police budget. When he took $4 million out of the police budget, and it's on record because you printed it, all right, so I'm not telling a mistruth. 48 police positions cut. 24 of them were detective positions. And then when those detective positions were cut, we went from having 11 homicides in the previous administration to having 22 homicides, 25 homicides, and then just most recently, we had 14 homicides, and it was celebrated until we had three homicides in like a week. But we only have 32 detectives. What would the city look like had we had those other 24 detectives added to our detective bureau right now? You're talking to Shafiq Abdus-Sabor. We're speaking with him. He's running for mayor of New Haven. You sometimes hear him on the other side of the microphone here at WNHHFM. He's the co-host of Urban Talk Radio, one of my favorite shows, actually. And uh, But today he's the guest. He's in the hot seat. So you, talked, you were a cop for 21 and a half years. You had yeah. a lot of interesting experiences. But you were district manager in New Hallville. Yes. You, were, you ran the lockup at One Union Ave. You were the head of the National Association of Black Law Enforcement Officers. You were also an official of the New Haven Police Union, which is mo- That's correct. majority white. So I was also seen... a founder. I was a founder of New Haven Police Union, too. And you, and you were, right, right, when they changed unions, you were yeah. the New Haven Guardians, right, which is a black police organization. I helped found the New Haven Guardians, correct. And you, and you wrote a book, Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America. You've, tr- you've consulted with the FBI. They're bringing in to and talk Homeland, about police. And Homeland Security. So you got some chops here. So what's that going to mean specifically? of what you might do differently with policing if you were the mayor? I would bring back community policing. What does that mean? That means it begins with restaffing and retooling the police department. Now, so here's the thing, people, I know there's people out there. And you know nationally, I know you don't like to hear this, but every police department in the country is having trouble hiring people. They're offering them like all this money to sign up. They're flying them on airplanes. Shafiq, that's real. It's real, but you know what? Here's the deal. I'm not concerned about what's happening all over the country. I'm concerned what's happening in the 20 square. Okay, so restaffing. So at 18.7, yeah. I'm told. Re, anyway. Re, re, restaff. I'm, I'm concerned about the 20 square miles of New Haven. Connecticut. So how are you going to restaff? And so here's, here's how you can restaff the officers. I put out a, I put out a 10-point plan. It's, it, you know, it's not really being followed, right? What did I say in the 10-point plan? You said give it, tell the slumlords to give them a free apartment. Well, no, I did not say that, Paul. No, that was a good plan. I did not say you that word. You said free apartment. Oh, you used the slumlord. That was my word. <laughs> I did not okay, use I'm sorry. that word. You asked the uh, yeah. the landlords with who have a lot of apartments. That's correct. That's to make right. apartments available to officers. That's correct. So here's so here's that I'll was give, a good idea. So, so here's I give you I give you a gummy. I give you a gummy, right? So that was my alder plan, right? So the the mayoral one of the mayoral plans, one of the clips would be, um, we know we don't have a lot of money to be able to give officers the top pay to compete with everybody else but you can approach officers at the needs that keep them here what would keep somebody living in a city living in a home what would keep somebody living in a city an apartment with an income that they could be able to live their 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 salary so you still have the idea of asking yeah, their to, their to pitch in to get free so, apartments so I, I go beyond the pitch in right i go beyond the pitch in why because these are things that i learned as an alder what I learned as an alder, number one, is our affordable housing ordinance is not really affordable housing because the AMI is off, so it actually exceeds Area almost. income. Yeah, it, it, it almost exceeds um, being workforce housing. It's right between workforce and uh, and uh, market rate housing. So, since we are giving or have given tax breaks 
to all of these uh, big corporations that come here to build for 10 apartments or, or whatever. What I would say is this. Bring back the officer resident program and reapproach these 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 uh, developers and say, listen, you know, you really don't have affordable housing, but I know, you know, we, you kind of do under our under our under our uh, ordinance, but it was just not, you know, not appropriate for what it needs to happen. Could you give us would you commit right for five years? We'll do it as a pilot. Could you commit right to putting officers into this? Uh, apartment right and then what you do is you fix the rate you get a get put a fix on the rent have the officer sign a contract so you'd have a lower rent you have a lower rent have them sign not free but a subsidized right subsidized rent um have them stay there you know they would have you're not you're no longer talking about the management companies you're talking about a different group now we're talking about a different group i mean the point is here's the deal Officer residency was public gotta, housing. Gotta, You're gotta, saying that, and public housing was good because you wanted. Yeah, people but we don't really there. have public housing anymore. And you got to understand something, Paul. You know, I'm not arguing with him. So I guess, no, what, what no, is I your idea? You. Listen, we've got three thousand people, Paul, on a waiting list, right? Trying to get into public housing. Good point. So we don't even have the space anymore. So you're saying go to the, de- the private developers because the the we've already the given there. them tax. So breaks. that's one idea for staff. And give me another. Yeah. What yeah. else are you gonna do with bring back community policing? What does that mean? Yeah. Walking beats or not? No. I, I think the other part is I think you need a re- a, to reevaluate the entire department. I think there needs to be a, another reevaluation. I said this publicly before, so it's not a secret thing. You know, the last time the par- department was re- reevaluated was under Perf. Perf I, in 2000. And I was part of that. Seven. The, yeah. the, the, the Billy White scandal. I was but part what, of that. what are you looking at specifically? What, so you, what, what so we need two things. We need, to, we need to determine the staffing that we have there now. Is it appropriate for what the needs are of the community at this current time? Based on the things that we have heard. you know, and Everybody says we need more cops. The cops are working 14-hour shifts but, now. But, but, it's but, three but times on, a week. But hold on a second, Paul. Let me finish this. Right? Let's think about what we... Let's get an assessment to come in to, to hear from the community about what the community needs. Here's why I know. Because top tier number one law of community policing, you can't police a community unless they allow you to police it. And in order for that to happen, you've got to hear from the community. So we need somebody to come down, give us a study in 30 days, 60 days, go out to the community, hear from them, look at department structure, see where we need to modify or, or move things around. Talk with- Do you have uh, any early indications yeah. where you think structure can change? Talk. We do need to update when- Talk to Florencio Cotto. Right mm-hmm. from the union, make sure the union's on board. Because we often do things in the city and the union's not on board. We do things without participating with the union. Okay. Then we fall into this. We're running, we're running out of time because you and I can talk for four hours, and we sometimes do. And I enjoy it always. Right. But we're on air now. So t- I want to ask you about housing before you leave. Gotcha. What are you going to do about the problem, landlords? We have a lot of. So I think what we need to do is. Big sur- groups have more low income housing, <laughs> subsidized housing than the housing authority does. Again, same thing I said with, you know, with. with police department we have to start looking at lci and the same thing we need to look at the evaluation of lci and see if the model is working efficient and effectively for the needs of the community we have to get the community back to the table Mm -hmm. right and here's the other thing we've got to get the community involved in the conversation but the problem is there's no transparency no one knows what's going on The, the websites for the city are difficult for people to navigate now, you know, who's answering the phone, the phone at City Hall? City Hall's been closed since COVID. It's like a little keypad thing. It's like a Star, Star Trek. Yeah. So we really got to get back. So you say re Lisa. Like, so we're, yeah. we're, we're running out of time. I want to give you a chance to close on whatever you want to close on. What is there some moment you've had so far in the campaign that 
showed you what you face or why you want to be the mayor? Is there something special that surprised you or struck you now that you're running for mayor that you want us to know about? So, yes. Um, you know, I've had workers reach out to me um, since I ran. And they said to me, you know, Shafiq, we understand it was a tough decision for you to step down from the Board of Alders. We understand that you had checked, you know, with the uh, legislative clerk's office before you ran and you knew that uh, you had a had a green light to do it. And we understand that, you know, after you got on and you learned that it was a conflict of interest, you had to choke up and sacrifice your ambition for being an alder and serving your community for us, for us, because for me, that job, and this is what they told me, they said, you know, one of the workers told me, they said, with tears in the eyes, they said, you know, I would have never had this job had it not been for you, but because you gave me this job, not only was I able to take care of my family, I was able to buy a house and get a pardon. So, you know, it just brings it back to me. Sometimes we do things, you know, for ourselves, and sometimes we do things for others. And so this run is really, it's about other people. It's not about me. Um, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the challenge. I'm ready to lead this city. I am massively excited. Um, and my mama gave me permission to run. Your mama gave you permission. <laughs> mama I gave me to permission sure. to run, Mama man. said you could run. <laughs> yeah, okay. yes, she did. In that case, we're going to have you back, <laughs> including when you're not doing your own show. Yeah. So, Shafiq Abdul-Sabur, thanks for Thank hanging. you, Paul. I appreciate you. I Thank love you, uh, you, New Haven Independent. And, uh, um, and thanks to Harry Jaros, because he is the number Thank one you, man Harry. behind the controls. You are the number one man behind the controls. And we're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience, which is the number one band for theme music for the yep. show. Playing, I wonder what it, how it would feel to be free. Yep. Don't forget to register to vote, people. You gotta vote. I'm going to have a vote song. All right. Well, half our some experience playing, I wish you no happy feet from a CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm-hmm.